Morning. I was just wondering if I should share this little new little thing I've learned. And part of it works with the message. Part of it is just it works with a song. That, that, that lyric that says, from the darkness comes the light. Um, there's something that, that we, that our Western worldview, even the New Testament with the Greek worldview, um, has is a little bit different than God's worldview, especially in the Old Testament. Um, we kind of think that morning begins the day, and so light leads into nighttime. But the entire Old Testament Hebrew God's worldview uh, if you look at every festival, every holiday of the Jewish uh, Old Testament, they all start at sunset, not sunrise. So the Jewish worldview, God's worldview, the way he revealed his view of the world is not that first there was darkness and then there were, or not, not first there was light and then there was darkness, but first there was darkness and then there was light. So God, if you watch, and you watch the stories of scripture, they almost, especially like in the gospel of John, it's always light and darkness, light and darkness, but it always starts dark and moves to light. So when God, even how he looks at a day, the day starts with darkness and moves toward light. And if you think of the story of Joseph, you will see that it starts with darkness, what his brothers do to Joseph. And it's always moving toward God's glory, God's provision, God's grace being offered to God's people, and even those who don't know God. So just always be thinking when you read the scriptures, especially the stories, the Old Testament narratives, read them from darkness to light because that is how God sees the world. If you think about it, he spoke into darkness and created light. So that's the one piece. The other piece is this, and this is, this is something that at the end of this message, I hope you'll, you'll, it'll, it'll come around full circle. You know, when scripture says um, that as far as the east is from the west, God will remove your sins from you. You've heard that, right? Notice that it doesn't say as far as the north is from the south. See, our world is on a north-south axis, right? We have a north pole and a south pole. So once you get to a certain point on the north, everything is south from there. So north and south actually meet, but east and west, because it spins, and there is no east, eastern pole or western pole, when God says that he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west, north and south, in, in God's worldview, is the way he, he created this earth, even though it's tilted a little bit, they're, they're, they're finite. But east and west are infinite. So how far is God going to remove your sin from you to the point that you, no matter how far you search, how, how fast you run, you will never find it again. God chooses to remember our sin no more. Now there's a reason for me telling you that piece. The, um, the darkness to light is just cool. But this east to west, this idea that God, God's plan is always to remove our transgressions, to remove our sin, to remove our own lack from us and fill it with his own provision, with his own glory, with his own grace and mercy. So we're going to talk about this passage, um, Genesis chapter 43. It's, again, it's a long chapter. It's really cool, and it doesn't end on, on one of those, okay, it's all wrapped up, everything feels good. There's going to be more next week. And Pastor Kurt, I believe it is, is Kurt, did he go? By the way, he's playing sick today. Um, he woke up, his whole family had a stomach bug last night, and Kurt... Um, don't touch him, but he sucked it up um, to come in here. Uh, so really excited. Uh, really kudos to Kurt for that. But um, Kurt will be preaching on kind of more of the solution next week. But I, just a couple of things to remind you of. One, um, Joseph, remember how this story began. Jacob had 12 sons, different wives, and that's a sermon for another day. But um, 
Joseph was his favorite. Now, he's not anywhere near the oldest. He's not the one that should get the blessing. He's not the one that you would pick. The oldest is supposed to get double the birthright. He's supposed to get the blessing. The promise is supposed to go on from the oldest. That's Reuben. It turns out that, that, that Jacob favors Joseph, one of his younger sons, one of only two from one of his wives, Rachel. And his brothers hated him for it. They hated, they didn't just covet the attention that they could get from their dad. They, 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 they hated, they envied him. So that means that they didn't just want him to no longer have the affection. They wanted him destroyed. And what did they do? They, they were going to kill him. Then they sold him into slavery. Decades pass. We know what God's been doing through Joseph. We hear very little about what God's been doing in, through, and around Jacob and his other sons. Now, we know that we talked last week about him, them heading off to Egypt. The first time, they bought some grain, then they were freaked out because, um, because the silver that they paid for it ended up back in their sacks of, of grain. The silver, the, all the weight of silver had been in there. They went home. Um, told their dad what had happened. They're freaked out that if they go back, they're going to die. Simeon, they left Simeon, one of their brothers in Egypt. They, in a lot of ways, they've waited a couple of months here, um, or about a month here to go back until they've eaten up all the food. They're thinking that they already know that Joseph is dead. Dad does. Brothers think that. They don't know that Joseph is Joseph. And now they think Simeon is probably dead. But the second in command in Egypt, we know as Joseph, he wants to see Benjamin. He wants to see his younger brother of the same mother. And that's what's going on here. And then the second journey to Egypt, it reads like this. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain that they had bought from Egypt, that, yeah, that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah, now I don't know if you remember this last week, Reuben said to his dad, if you send Benjamin back with us, if, if I don't come back with him, you can kill my two sons. But for some reason, twice now, Reuben has stood up and tried to take charge. Uh, he tried to do it when he's trying to save Joseph. He's, you know, he told him, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. He's going to try and save him. Tattles on his brothers or to his, about his brothers a little bit to dad. But again, they don't listen to Reuben. But for some reason, if Judah says it, whatever Judah says they tend to listen to. But Judah said to him, that's Jacob, who's also known as Israel, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down, we will buy food for you. If you do, uh, but if you will not send him, we will not go down because the man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel, that's also Jacob, same name, or same person, different names, asked, why do you bring this trouble on me by telling, by telling the man that you have another brother? They replied, the man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Um, is your father still living? He asked us, do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How were we to know that he would say, bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me, and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed we could have gone and returned twice. Now, I know I told you last week that that journey, if people walk 16 hours a day at three miles an hour on a flat surface, um, it, it's, it's about seven days. But 
No one, no one travels 16 hours a day at a perfect pace. There's hills, there's rocks, there's all that kind of stuff. They have donkeys. They got to sleep. They got to stop and eat. So we're figuring it it takes seven to 10 days. So if, if they've, if he said we could have gone there and back twice, if he would have sent Benjamin with us right away, just think about a month. They have, so Joseph, they don't know it's Joseph, but Joseph sent them with enough food to get them there to bring them back while all the while making sure that Jacob and the rest of the family that remains have plenty of food to eat. Joseph, if they're going to be honest men and they're going to bring back his little brother, then he's, he's provided for them. He's given them more than enough. But because of their fear of either losing all of them, either being put in prison or um, losing Benjamin again, because of Jacob's fear and their fear that they've been framed, that they've been set up, that the silver that came back, they're going to be, they're going to be called thieves. They're going to be called spies again. They're going to be killed in prison, whatever, off of their head. Because of their fear, they chose not to respond quickly. Then their father, Israel, said to them, if it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into, your mouth, or back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. Now I'm going to pause here for a second. It's interesting that Jacob is praying for mercy. Now in the absolute root of that word, what does mercy mean? If you commit a crime and you throw yourself on the mercy of the court, you're hoping that the judge or the jury will not give you what you deserve. So mercy is not getting what you deserve. So Jacob, who knows his own character, who knows what he was like when he was younger, who knows that he was one who stole his brother's blessing, who knows that he was one that kind of had to play to get the wife that he really loved. He got the other one first, who kind of played a game with his father-in-law and he, and he ran off and his brother was going to come kill him and he bargained with God. He wrestled with him and, and, and he, he wrestled with God and God said, you're no longer, you know, you, you've wrestled with man and with God and have, not, and have not been overcome. You're no longer Jacob, sinner, one who takes what isn't yours. You are now Israel because you have struggled and have not been overcome. God changes his character, but he knows who he was. He also knows his sons. Um, those of you who are parents, you know your children, you know their quirks, you know the best part of them, and you know the other parts of them. And some of the other parts of them remind you of the parts of you that you hope they don't notice. My daughter's a perfect example of that, at least if you're watching, and I know it's like three in the morning there right now, um, but uh, I'm saying this of me, but I see it in you. Hopefully she's not watching. She's in New Zealand. She's a wonderful Christian woman. She's a missionary. She's married to a wonderful man, but she's grumpy in the morning. So am I. Lynn said, good morning today, because she's a morning person. Usually my response is, prove it. Um, and she goes, yes, it is that. Um, and, and Elise gets hangry. I don't know if you know what hangry is, but you know, okay. And every, every woman who's married to a walker man, at least in our family, knows that if your husband's grumpy, feed him. Okay? So he, I know the character of my daughter. I also know her quirks. 
Um, same with my son, and they know mine. Jacob knows his sons. And whether he has suspicious that, they, that it wasn't a wild animal that killed uh, Joseph or not, doesn't matter. He knows that they came back with silver. They went there to buy food. He sent them with silver. They came back with, with food and silver. Maybe he wonders if they, if they finagled something. Maybe. But he also knows of his own sin. And he's pleading with God for mercy. Don't give them or me what we deserve. That's going to be key later. Oh, sorry. The men took the gifts, double the amount of silver, and Benjamin also. And they hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward, he didn't say it to the brothers don't overhear, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare dinner. They are to eat with me at noon. Now, I've got to pause one more time. There's a lot of irony and a lot of callbacks in this particular part of the story, but I got to confess, three weeks ago when I read through this, beginning to prepare for this week's message, two weeks ago, it wasn't until a couple of days ago that, that this, and it wasn't that it jumped out at me, it was, it was theologians that are much smarter than I and much more learned than I, they pointed this out. It's just a really cool thing. Remember when, they, when, when, when uh, Jacob sent Joseph to Shechem to check on his brothers? And he went there and he had that chance encounter with that guy who just happened to be wandering around in the wilderness and said, oh yeah, I overheard them talking about they're going to Dothan. When he goes off to Dothan, um, his brothers don't greet him with, hey Joe, how you doing? They, they capture him, right? And then they throw him, they're going to kill him and then they throw him into a cistern and then they sell him into slavery. If you remember that it was the, and, and the people that, that he sold into slavery, they were merchants. They were traveling from Canaan. And they're probably distant relatives to, the, to, to Jacob's sons. But uh, they're traveling to Egypt to trade. They're a caravan of traders going to Egypt. And they happen to pick up a slave along the way that they're going to sell. Do you notice that with the balm and with the pistachios and with the honey and the myrrh and the incense, do you realize that the brothers, because not, it's not just 11 of them. They've got their servants, they've got their, their, their wagons, they've got their donkeys, all that kind of stuff. They have now become the very caravan of merchants traveling from Egypt, or traveling from Canaan to Egypt with a son of Rachel. So the, thing, the people that they sold Joseph to became slave traders. And now we're wondering, and the storyteller is trying to get us to wonder, are they going to sell the other son of Rachel as merchants traveling to Egypt. Just, just a little callback, just a reminder. Remember that this was an oral tradition. The other thing that, that we can see over and over and over again through, throughout this story is this word called shalom. Not shalom, shalom. And you remember when his brothers, God showed him, or Jacob showed Joseph favor, shalom. And his brothers couldn't say a peaceable word about him. Shalom. They couldn't speak shalom to him. And then we hear that when Jacob sends Joseph off to check on their well-being, that's shalom. We find out later when, when he greets them, it's, it's the Lord is with you. We'll find out when, how God blesses the brothers. Um, we'll find there's this little play on words that the author is using throughout this story. Now, it's hard to read that in English, but there's something there. There's something that God is trying to show us, not just uh, Reuben and, and, and Judah, not just Benjamin, not just the brothers, not just Joseph, but us. He's trying to show us that sometimes what we fear is the very thing that God wants to bless us. 
We actually fear God's blessing. If you think back, and I know that all of you are just right on your mind here, but a year ago last week, a year ago last Sunday, was the first time I stood in front of this congregation. I was here as a candidate. Six years, what did I say? A year, okay, yeah, nailed it. Nailed it. Six years ago, it's the first time I stood. So now it was a shock to a lot of you because I know that, that, that some of you didn't know that they were looking for a new lead pastor. It was a shock to me too because I, I'm leaving, potentially leaving a church that I've been at 21 years and I knew all the people. There's like 1,150 people there at that time and I knew all but about 50 of them, at least by name and I could recognize them. When I'm in a restaurant and someone says, hi, I know they're from my church. I recognize them. I probably know who they're related to. When I showed up here to preach six years and one week ago, I knew 13 names. And the message that I brought, I don't expect you to remember it, but I know I was preaching to me as much as I was preaching to you, was the story of Jesus crossing the, the, the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum to the Decapolis. The Decapolis, the Gerasenes, that's, the, that's where the demons live. That's, that's devil's home territory. Jesus' adult hometown is Capernaum. He spent most of his life, 80% of his ministry was in a, a, a town and around the town of about 2,000 residents. So everybody knew him. He knew everybody. And they get in the boat and they're going across to the devil's territory. And they're crossing hell to get there. When, when we hear that, when Jesus talks about, don't keep the little ones from coming to me, it'd be better to have a millstone tied around you and thrown into the abyss than to keep a little one from coming to me. The abyss is the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. That's hell. That's Hades. That's where the pagan god of chaos and bad weather lives. And as they're on this, this, this lake in these reed, tied together reed boats, not fiberglass, not aluminum, all weld or riveted, it's just... Bad weather can tear these things apart. The disciples start freaking out because it's not just that it's stormy, it's that they're gonna go to hell. And they're on their way. The pagans are, the demons are pushing back. And Jesus is napping, snoring in the back. And they go, don't you care if we drown? They're afraid that God won't do something. Keep that in mind because you know what Jesus did. They say to the steward, they went to Joseph's steward. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. The man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, we, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. Uh, he wants to attack us and to overpower us and to seize us as slaves and to take our donkeys. Have no idea why they're concerned about their donkeys at this point. You have a flat tire and a rental car and a bunch of people surround you and they're about to, to pummel you or kill you and you're going, oh my goodness, what is the hurts going to do? No idea. So they went up to Joseph Stewart and they spoke to him at the entrance to the house. Please, sir, we, we came down here for the first time to buy food, um, but, but at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened up the sacks and each of us uh, found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of the sack. So we, we brought it back with us. Uh, we also brought additional silver uh, with us to buy food. We, we, we didn't know who put, it, put our silver in our sacks. So think about it. I know this will never happen to any of you, but you've seen it on TV. Those people that don't wear shirts and they get arrested, you know, it's a, it, cops, you know. All right. 
You can't get arrested anymore without a shirt, if you have a shirt on. It's all good. Um, but it's that guy that, that got pulled over driving, and maybe he's, he's, uh, maybe he's in Colorado and he's been smoking dope, or maybe, uh, maybe she's from here and she's been drinking too much, and they do the little breathalyzer test, and, and, and they, 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 they cuff him or her, and they put her in the back of the seat, and the bargaining kicks in. Because right now, the realization comes up that my whole life is over. I'm not going to be able to drive anymore. What if my, if you're a teenager, it's what every teenage kid thinks when they come home and they're 16, they got in trouble. Mom finds out and they're like, oh no, I was only, I only drank one. I only, oh, maybe two. And it wasn't my fault. I mean, it was was peer pressure, peer pressure, it's everyone else's fault. You know, or I'm just holding it for a friend. All that kind of stuff. You start bargaining, you start bargaining. You're trying to convince that it's not my fault that someone else's and and I didn't really do it. It just kind of happened to me. And you're, 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 you're trying to, you're trying to make your way. You're trying to make your case so that maybe someone will not give you what you have coming to me, coming to you. This is what the brothers are doing. They're, they're pleading with a steward. Maybe, maybe, if we can't talk to the, to, to, the, to the vice president, what? I can't slow down. This is cool. This is a... You want to come up here? <laughs> None of what I was just saying is important. It's the panic that is, okay? It's a rhetorical technique. We're going to have a fun afternoon, aren't we? <laughs> They're panicked. And before they see the vice president of, of Egypt, number two, they're going to try to get to a steward. It's kind of like talking to a secret service agent when you just threaten the president and you're trying to get him to say, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. You're trying to let him. And then remember the panic of the disciples in the boat when the storm is coming up and they say, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus stands up and what does he say? Shh. And there's glass. Every time someone moves in the boat, there's a ripple that you can see. They're freaking out, and the steward says, It's all good. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon, their brother, who was in prison to them. You notice what just happened? This pagan Egyptian evidently just uttered a prophetic word from God. They're freaked out that they're going to get what they deserve. They're freaked out. that the, Remember last week, they were freaked out about the blood of their brother being on their hands. They know that this is why the silver was put back in their sacks. They know, they know, they know. They're being set up. They're being tested. They're going back. They're going to bring back Benjamin. They're going to enslave us. They're going to steal our donkeys. And the steward, I don't know if Joseph set it up or if God himself, but the steward says, chill. God put that there. We've been paid in full. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet and and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were going to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts that they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and then he said, how is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well, and they bowed down, to, they bowed down low to pay him honor, and as he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said to, 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 to Benjamin, God be gracious to you, my son. 
Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. And he went into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face and he had come, back, come out and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. And the sir, they, they, served, they served him, Joseph, by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews and that is de- because that is detestable to Egyptians. The man had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in in, in utter astonishment. Now, before we finish up, I want you to see, I don't know if they're getting a clue here, but how in the world would Joseph, they don't know he's Joseph, how would the vice president, the second in command, the king junior of all of Egypt, the most second most powerful man on the planet at the time, how would he know what birth order they're, I mean, they're, they're older, They have children of their own. They have families of their own. But how's he going to know? How's he going to get that right? And did they notice that he's eating alone? Do they think that he's eating alone because Egyptians don't eat with Hebrews? Or is he thinking he's eating alone because he's so important that no one is to to, to come in contact with and make him, quote unquote, unclean? They're astonished that somehow, some way, miraculously, he figured out who's the oldest, who's next, who's next, who's next, all the way down to Benjamin. And I don't know if he left a space to where Joseph should be, but nevertheless, he lined them all up. They're blown away. They're, maybe they're starting to get a clue. Maybe they're freaked out that this man knows something that he's not supposed to know. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with them. Now, this drank freely with They had more than enough. None of them, even though Benjamin got five times more than anybody else, none of them were lacking. There's something going on here. They hated Joseph. He was the son of Rachel. His, his dad, Jacob, took care of all of them. They were all very rich for that time in their lives. They wanted for nothing. But he gave a nice coat to Joseph. He favored him all the more. So he had an abundance of giftedness from father. And they hated him so much, they wanted him dead. They didn't just want the affection of their father. They didn't want him to have it. Not only did they not want him to have it, they wanted him dead for it. So here, Joseph, he's testing them. He's become Jacob in a way. And he lines them all up. And all of the sons of the other mothers, they all get more than enough. But the son of Rachel has five times more than all of them. Jacob is, or Joseph is showing favor to Benjamin in their presence. He wants to know, has their character changed? Because we know in desperation, when you're fearful of your life, you will, most of us will bend our knee and bend our will to anything. We will do anything to save our own skin. He's going to set him up. Might it be that, think about it. When, when I was growing up, my brother Troy is 20, or he's two years short of four days uh, younger than me. And if, who did that? Troy. And then if Troy, if Troy, if Heath was around, he did it. Now Heath's the youngest. He's got no one to blame. So he might be setting him up that if, if they, if they, if, they, if it gets ugly, they might go, well, you guys want to get rid of Benjamin? Yep, yep. Save our skins. Yep. Benjamin, we all kind of expect him to die anyway. So Benjamin, he, he's testing him. Now, we don't know the end of the story. There is another test coming that's really cool. But let me remind you of one thing. 
the story of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. They were afraid. They didn't know. He, they weren't convinced that he was God, but they knew he could do miracles. They were afraid that God would do nothing. And they cried out to him. And he stood up and he went, shh. You remember what their response was? Absolute terror. Who is this that even the wind and the waves? And just like we talked about six years ago, God is talking about here. Often, not always, but often, what we're afraid of is what God wants to do. And then when he does it, we're even more afraid. Why? Because it's beyond our control. God's intent from the beginning has been to bless humanity. God's intent from the beginning has been to save the known world, actually to save the world. God's intent from the beginning is to allow calamity to happen to one man through the process of one family so that God can not only save that family and the blessing for, for the future, but save the known world at the time. God, from God's perspective, Joseph's brothers are afraid that they're going to have to pay for their sins. It's what comes around, goes around. It's karma. What we did to our brother, bad stuff's going to happen to us. They even pleaded for mercy, but they know, they know, they know that God is going to punish them. They know that life's going to come back around and the blood that's on their hand they're going to have to pay. And so they're afraid that they're going to get exactly what they know they deserve. But what they're actually afraid of, if you look at it from God's perspective, God knows what they've done. And he knows the end. What they intended for evil, I intended for good. So is God planning to give them what they deserve? Or is God planning to give them that other wonderful Christian word, grace, to give them what they don't deserve? See, a lot of times, and I know no one thinks it here, but a lot of times we believe it here. We believe that God, that we're, we're legalistic. We believe that God, if I do this, God does this. If then. And really what it is with God is even though you do this, God blesses even though. God blesses anyway. Even though you mess up, even though you sin, even though you're afraid, God knows the plans he has for you. He's going to prosper you, not harm you, give you hope. And a few. Yeah, I know, I know. But, but if I mess up, there's consequences. Yeah, God will allow you to suffer just enough that you will turn back to him. He will allow you to be, to, to be convicted so that you will turn back and receive the grace that he offers you. But what we do is we go, well, we don't deserve that. We, 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 we don't what we, we don't want God to give us what we don't deserve. We actually are fearful that God's going to be the kind of God that's going to make me suffer for what I've done. That's guilt. And what does guilt do? It keeps us away from God. But conviction brings us closer to him. God is always trying to draw us to him. He goes from dark to light, from sin to salvation, from hopelessness to hope, from death to resurrection. That is who God is. And God's story with Joseph and his family is from dark to light. It's from a destitute soul of his brothers to redemption of the whole world. And God is showing us, he's foreshadowing what he's going to do with Jesus. That, that, that gone are your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me because I have bought you back. I'm going to take your sins and separate them as far away from the, as the east is from the west. That's infinite. You can never catch up again. So are his brothers going to suffer for their sin? No. And you know what? That's not fair. And praise God. 
he's not fair. Because if he were, every one of us is doomed. Three hundred and sixty-five times in the scriptures, we're told, "Fear not, don't be afraid." Or, "Why are you so afraid?" And every time God utters that, whether it be through Jesus, whether it be through one of His prophets, whether it be from 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 a pagan steward of the second in command in Egypt, don't be afraid. Every time, it's because God is doing something, and we're afraid. And what it turns out to be most of the time, even though it doesn't feel like it right now, what we're afraid of is the grace that God's going to give. Because we can't imagine that God is going to be graceful. God knows, and he tells you that fear not. Will you be a person, and will we be a people, that trusts God's grace more than the sense that he's going to punish us for our wrongdoing. Why did Jesus come? To save us from our sin, from our ailments, from things that control us that shouldn't. And what he asks of us is to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess because the God, the one who promised, he's faithful. God was faithful to the promises he made to Joseph. And he was faithful to the promises he made to his brothers. But all of those promises were for grace, provision, and redemption. So whatever you're in the middle of, God will not waste your pain. He will not waste your suffering. He will not waste your angst. But you can choose faith. You can choose not to be afraid of grace but to embrace it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Joseph, for how he held on to you even though everything looked like he shouldn't. And Lord, we thank you for the example of his brothers too who who believed that you were going to punish them for what they had done to their brother. Lord, thank you that you chose not to punish them. You tested them. But your goal was not only to develop Joseph's character, but theirs, so that they could be a people for generations and generations that would bless all the earth through you, for you, and because of you. Help us be the same kind of people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Not ironic, but ironic from Aaron. This blessing that every time I preach that you get at the end of it, it's been, it's been uttered by people on behalf of God, by the priestly class for thousands of years. And I want you to hear that God's plan from the beginning and this blessing that's offered includes this peace. When it says the Lord be gracious to you, gracious, sometimes, oh, that's very gracious, thank you. It's actually, Lord, be grace-filled. Continue to show grace to us. Continue to give us what we do not deserve. So we've talked about what it means to bless, what it means to keep. But hear the gracious peace today. The Lord bless you and keep you, and make his face shine toward you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. So look on God's face, and this is always his look when he looks at you. The Lord smile at you 
and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.